The following is a message by Dr. Brian D. Estelle from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, please visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 888-480-8474. Chosen for our meditation this morning, First uh, Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 13. I'll pick up and read at the end of chapter uh, 12, verse 30, and then we'll move into chapter 13, and I'll conclude with the first verse of 14. <clears throat> this is God's word. Give careful attention to it. Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? but eagerly desire the greater gifts. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child. And I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. But now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. We join me in prayer as we ask God to illumine our hearts and minds to his word this morning. Father, thank you for your word. It is indeed broader than all the heavens. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Lord, especially even as we read this portion of your word, we're aware of how far short we fall. So we thank you for the penalty-paying and probation-keeping work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Where would we go without him? Father, we thank you that he is the fountainhead of all wisdom and love, and we ask, O Lord, that you would grant us reverence and humility without which we cannot understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Charles Hodge, in commenting on this portion of Scripture, said, It has ever been considered as one of the jewels of Scripture, for moral elevation, for richness and comprehensiveness, for beauty and felicity of expression. 
It has been the admiration of the church in all ages, close quote. And yet we live in a time in which there is a crisis in the understanding of love and surely in the practice of love. Alan Bloom, most famous for writing this book, The Closing of the American Mind, also wrote another book called Love and Friendship, a huge tome which recounts the history of major literary discussions about love. Sadly, this chapter finds no place in that discussion, even though other great literary songs and pieces are talked about that deal with the topic of love. It is difficult to love. In fact, one may say it's easier to be straight in our thinking uh, than to love. The context here is all important. There seems to be two views of what it means to be spiritual in the church of Corinth. For the Corinthians, it was tongues, wisdom, knowledge, which had led to pride. But for Paul, it was to be full of the Holy Spirit. It was to walk in love. The main point to this first section in verses 1 to 3 is the absolute necessity of love for true spirituality. And then when you look at verses 4 to 7, I don't mind if you plagiarize this outline either, uh, the excellent character of Christian love. So first of all, in 1 to 3, the absolute necessity of love for true spirituality. In verses 4 through 7, the excellent character of Christian love. And you'll notice there that we have the apostle holding, holding up this jewel, as it were, and spinning it for us and letting us see all kinds of facets of what it means uh, to grasp this love. And he has two positive characteristics of it, then he shifts to eight negative characteristics, and then he shifts back to five positive characteristics. And then thirdly, the everlasting worth of love in verses 8 through 13, where the apostle seems to be communicating that the gifts, these spiritual gifts that the Corinthians were so zealous for, are temporary, and they are partial and elementary. However, he concludes with this grand note saying, love is eternal. So let's look at this first point, the absolute necessity of love for true uh, spirituality. Notice he says, first of all, right out of the gates, that eloquence or tongues without love are nothing. The gift which the Corinthians prided themselves on the most and abused. And uh, here the apostle seems to be saying, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. Now there's a lot of discussion here what this means. Uh, eloquence. Is there any biblical record of an angelic dialect? Well, there's not, but there's actually quite a bit of Jewish discussion at this time that talks about a Jewish, and, or rather an angelic dialect. What's being communicated here? Well, what's being communicated here is basically this point. If one has the ability to speak with the eloquence of the greatest men, or even angelic eloquence, Nevertheless, if one does not have love, the result is that person is a clanging symbol, a gong which produced a hollow, echoing, groaning noise if one does not have love. This reminds one of Matthew Arnold's lines on Hind's grave that say the following, and he's quoting Goethe. 
But was it thou, I think, surely it was that bard, unnamed, who Goethe said, had every other gift but wanted love, love without which the tongue, even of angels, sounds amiss. I guess it was not Heine, but Platon, whom Goethe was actually referring to. In his talk with Dr. Eckerman on Christmas Eve of 1825, Goethe reflected, I quote, He has many brilliant qualities, but he is lacking in love. He loves his readers and his fellow poets as little as he loves himself. And thus we may apply to him the maxim of the apostle. And thus we may ably apply to him this maxim that says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. He is deficient in love, and therefore he will never produce the effect he ought. What a line. He is deficient in love, and therefore he will never produce the effect that he ought. And then Paul transitions. Did you notice? He remembers some of the gifts that he had just mentioned previously. Prophecy, knowledge, and faith without love are nothing, he says in verse 2. Notice he uses all three times to demonstrate how comprehensive this is. Mysteries, those secret things, those things undiscoverable by human wisdom, and they must be revealed by the Holy Spirit. Knowledge, all knowledge, the intellectual apprehension and cognition of revealed truth. One thinks of John, the apostle, in his uh, gospel when he says in chapter 13, You remember as he records the Lord's words, My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And then notice lastly he mentions faith without love. This is nothing. So the absolute necessity of love for true spirituality is there. Now this reminds one of the greatest act of love. How can it not? How can any of us measure up to this great song, this great hymn, this great poem of love? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that all of us who are in Christ can truly love as he loved. Not perfectly, surely. But nevertheless, it reminds one of the Savior's great sacrifice and his great work. And now the apostle goes on. Benevolence and martyrdom without love are nothing. Verse 3. You notice what he says. If I give all I possess to the poor and I surrender my body to the flames, so I even become a martyr, but I have not love, then I gain nothing, nothing at all. Benevolence without love amounts to nothing. A life of suffering, a life of martyrdom, a life of ministry without love amounts to nothing. So what's the conclusion? Not in contrast to the gifts Paul is saying here, but that love should have absolute supremacy. If one is to be a Christian at all, then love is absolutely necessary for that spirituality. Now the apostle shifts his attention to the excellent character of love. Familiar passage to us all. Here we are in the central part of the hymn. 
And he's talking about love, and he sets forth these characteristics of an indispensable love, its nature, its workings. And as I mentioned earlier, he holds up these two positive characteristics, then he shifts to eight negative characteristics, and then back to five positive characteristics. Look at this beautiful description. Love is patient. Love is kind. Now, the first thing to notice here, you won't notice reading your English, but if you look at your Greek, you notice that these are verbs. These are not nouns. These are not adjectives. This is love in action. This is love operationalized. This is something that you can see, that you can mark out, because it actually happens, and the person performs it. And then he goes on. After saying that love is patient and love is kind, and he moves on to eight negative descriptions. Love does not envy. One can think of the original context of the Corinthians. Oh, they were eager for advancement. They were zealous for a good reputation. They wanted to be marked out as first among equals in their community. Do we envy? Do we compare in an unhealthy way? He goes on, love does not boast. Love does not behave as a braggart. Love is not puffed up, blown up like sails. C.S. Lewis called this the utmost evil. It's the epitome of pride when one parades his accomplishments. Real love despises ostentation. And he goes on. And he says it's not proud. And then he says it's not rude does not act shamefully, disgracefully, dishonorably. Brothers and sisters, there is all kinds of grist for the mill here about how we would act in a seminary community. A.T. Robertson said, love is tactful. It does nothing that would even raise a blush. The Corinthian women were bringing shame on their heads in the way they were dressing. They were distinguishing the haves and the have-nots in their community. Christian love cares too much for that. He goes on. It's not self-seeking. Here he's picking up from chapter 10, probably, where Paul talks about Christian liberty, something we emphasize a lot around here, and rightly so. But Paul says that we would not exercise our Christian liberty in such a way that it would give uh, room for licentiousness or it would offend or scandalize a brother or a sister. We'd be willing to give up all our Christian liberty if it would scandalize a brother or sister. Calvin said, it can be inferred from this that this love is not innate in us. We all have a natural tendency to love and care for ourselves and to seek our own interests. But it, that is love, makes us ignore our own circumstances and be really concerned about our neighbors living and caring for them. And then it goes on. It is not easily angered. This love does not have a short fuse. It does not clam up. It does not suppress so that it ventilates its anger. Here the idea is in the passive. And so it's probably the notion of this love is not only not easily angered, it's not even irritable. Moreover, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's a prince's part to forgive, said Bacon. Does not reckon evil. Stores up no resentment, as another author said. It sterilizes the lesion of resentment, soothes it. Love does not delight in evil. And this is pivotal with what goes next. 
Okay, so notice how this forms a kind of pivot or janus. Love does not delight in evil, but rather positively, now he shifts back into the positive, rejoices in truth. Now here's the flip side of what I'm going to emphasize and close with in a minute. Because uh, I'm concerned lest some of you walk out of here and think that Professor Estelle is just holding up the great example of love like a bunch of mainstream churches out there. If you know Machen and you know his writings well, then you know how he used this. Because constantly he was lambasted for offending and bringing injury to this great chapter. To which he reminded his critics, where does this chapter occur? It occurs sandwiched between two of the greatest controversial chapters in Scripture. Don't you ever pipe up and trumpet love at the expense of truth. Love always rejoices in the truth. Moreover, love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Boom, 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 boom. Hear the staccato of verbs? It always hopes. Love springs eternal for the erring. Love trusts, but that doesn't mean that love is credulous. It's not suspicious. It's not fearing wrong motives. Unless she must. Love always perseveres. So love endures much abuse. And then at the end, he climaxes with the everlasting worth of love. The gifts are temporary. Now, it's probably best to turn to a full orb treatment of the scriptures to deal with the issue of cessationism. But Paul has two purposes here. To redirect the Corinthians' thinking and our thinking to the nature of true spirituality, but secondly, to place the emphasis on the gifts in the context of love. And then he moves quickly in 9 and 12 to say that the gifts, these spiritual gifts that they accented and emphasized so much are temporary and partial. The day is coming when no such inferior aids will be needed whatsoever. And then look how he ends. Love is eternal. The truest, the deepest knowledge that you can have is God's gracious recognition and love of us in Jesus Christ. And that is why love abides. Tongues, prophecies, knowledge, they come, they fail, they pass. But what's abiding? Christ's love, Christ's sacrifice, Christ's penalty-paying substitution on our part. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to close with something that recently came out as one of the publications uh, from uh, the seminary here. And um, I guess I could think of no better and more fitting uh, conclusion to this, even though it's a little comfortable reading from one's own interview. But the context of it is this. There was a student a couple of years ago who was about ready to graduate. And he invited me out to lunch, and we went out to lunch. And he said, Professor Estep, one last parting word as we're sharing this meal together, you know. And I think it was after, like, what, what's the best book on biblical theology ever read? And what's the best advice you can give me as I'm about ready to embark on this pastoral uh, career? And this is basically what I told him. 
I think it was the best advice I could give. The other thing I want to say by way of extension is, and I really mean this, love the people whom God puts underneath you. Of course, one of the best ways you can love them is by giving them the gospel. But the people that God brings before you, because Paul calls this the more excellent way, love them. You know, my students could parse all the Hebrew verbs in the Hebrew Bible perfectly. They could wax eloquently about all these ancient cultures and the various weird rituals that they participate in, and they could talk about very technical aspects of theology, which are important. That's italicized. But the bottom line is this. If they don't have charity, if they don't have love for all those people who are suffering, and every person they talk to is going to suffer in some way, then they've missed it. And you know, sometimes it's really, really hard to love people in the church and outside the church with whom they come into contact, especially when they're confronted by pastor abuse, that is, being abused by people in their churches, which is a live thing out there. I speak from personal experience. But if they can leave here following in the footsteps of their Christ and Lord and love the people that he brings before them, they've picked up some of that here through the community, then that's great because the bottom line is that's what people remember. My wife and I had a wonderful relationship with the congregation I served back east. And the love is what they, I remember of them. And I'm sure that's why we are still fond memories in their minds too, because of our love for them. I wish for you, brothers and sisters, that you would follow my example insofar as I follow the example of Christ by his grace. And we can do that through his strength. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this sublime poem which you inspired the Apostle Paul to pen, not only for the Corinthians who desperately needed it, but for us as well, O Lord. O Father, we are but dark-hearted sinners. How much we need your grace, O Lord, in order to love other people that you bring through our path. Father, help us to aspire to the high measure of the words that is displayed before us here by your grace. Father, uh, help us to love those people that you bring into our lives. And as you do so, O Lord, we will be very careful to showcase the glories of Christ. And for we know we are but faithful, but nevertheless faithless servants when we do so. O Lord, do this, we do pray, for the sake of your church and for the sake of this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Copyright 2008, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way, and you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this broadcast on our website is preferred.